Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. In the 18th chapter of Luke's Gospel, we are given two parables about prayer. Both of these parables are then followed by two events about how we come to Jesus. The first is of the children brought to Jesus, and the second is of the rich ruler who fails to come to Jesus because he won't give up his wealth. These parables about prayer and these Two stories about coming to Jesus, they're arranged in a parallelism. And the first parable corresponds, the first parable, which was not in our reading today, is of the tenacious widow who assails the judge relentlessly to get justice. The first parable corresponds to the first event of the children. And the second parable, which we read today about the publican and the Pharisee and their prayer, corresponds to the rich young ruler's failure to come to Christ. The first parable about prayer in Luke's gospel, about this woman who hounds an unjust judge and won't leave him alone until he gives her justice, which he finally does just to get rid of her because she's annoying him so much with her relentless and tenacious uh, pleas, he finally does what she wants. We're told of the meaning of the parable in the opening lines, so there's no mystery there. Jesus tells us at the beginning and at the end of the parable what it means. He says, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. Don't give up. Pray and never give up. And then at the end he says, he laments, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith. Shall he find faith? Shall he find faithfulness on the earth? If you believe in the goodness and the power and the holiness of God, you will pray. You will be relentless in your prayer. You will not give up. You will not judge God by what you fail to see, by but what you know to be true. Prayer. Prayer is the breath of the Spirit within us. And if we want to live, we will breathe and we will pray. And yet, I'm sure we can all testify, so often we do not pray. So often we waver. So often we are inconsistent. And we realize and we struggle. And we know what a difficult work it is to believe in God and to pray. That is the struggle of our life, really. And the monks tell us out in the desert, desert, those who have gone out to be professional prayers, they tell us how difficult it is, that it is the most difficult thing that we will ever engage in, but it is the most important. Jesus recognizes again this sad reality of so often our lukewarmness when he laments, saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It is faith that pleases God. It is faith that expresses our love for God. And so we ask, are we going to be faithful 
or faithless. The day is short, Christ tells us, and the Apostle Paul tells us. The day is short, and we must work while there is light. And our work is the work of salvation, working out our salvation. It is a striving to enter God's rest. All the things we seek in this world and in this life that we think are so important, we must constantly remind ourselves that they are really not important. There is one thing needful. There is one thing needful, to seek first the kingdom of God and to not neglect this. The second parable, which was our lesson today, contrasts the prayers of two men, the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee's prayer is not acceptable to God. His prayer is a profane prayer. It is unclean. It is not pleasing to God, and it is not acceptable to God. We think about something being acceptable to God. The offering of sacrifice the sort of essential nature of sacrifice is the question of, is it acceptable to God? This is brought up in our Mass, in the prayers of the Mass. Again and again, if you pay attention to the prayers of the canon, there are numerous prayers, again and again, asking God to accept the sacrifice that we offer. And since we, of course, are offering the very body and blood of his own dear, precious eternal and perfect son, we know that they are acceptable unto him. That is the only thing, ultimately, that we have to offer to God that is really acceptable. And so we join ourselves to Christ himself in his offering, and we offer ourselves in and through Christ's offering to God. And that's how we and our prayer and the sacrifice of our own life indeed becomes acceptable to God. But for a sacrifice to be a true sacrifice, it must be holy, it must be acceptable to God. And the prayer, which is a sacrifice in and of itself, a prayer is, the prayer of the Pharisee was unacceptable, it was profane, it was unholy, because it stemmed from, an unright, from a self-righteous heart. It stemmed from a man who was justifying himself and condemning others. The publican, on the other hand, he's standing afar off, the parable says, which is an important detail. He's not concerned with the Pharisee. The Pharisee was concerned with the publican. The publican is not concerned with the Pharisee. He's completely unaware of the Pharisee. He doesn't see the Pharisee. He's not thinking about the Pharisee. All he's concerned about is his own need for God, his own desperate Need for God, his own sin, his own unworthiness. He accuses himself before God. Not in self-pity does he accuse himself. Sometimes we accuse ourselves, but without faith. That's self-pity. That's not pleasing to God. Self-accusation, which lacks faith in God's mercy and love, is just self-pity. That will get you nowhere. He doesn't accuse himself in self-pity, but in faith he cries out for God's mercy, knowing that God is indeed merciful. And they go to their house, Jesus says, the one justified and the other not justified. To be justified, to be justified, same as saying to be made righteous, to be justified means to be made right before God. It means to literally be made like God. So that you can have intimacy with God. Be joined to God. 
It's an impossibility for God to have communion, to be joined to someone who is darkness. The light has no fellowship with the darkness. This is a a metaphysical reality. It's not just because he doesn't like it. It can't happen. They're mutually exclusive. So for us to be joined to the light of the world, to Jesus Christ, to God, who is a fire, we have to be justified. We have to be made like God. We have to be straightened out and transformed. And the remarkable thing about our parable and the remarkable thing about our faith, the scandal of our faith, which is exhibited most perfectly in this parable and with the thief on the cross, a true event, St. Dismas, is that through a simple prayer, a simple prayer, the soul of this publican and the thief on the cross is justified, is made like God. Just a simple recognition of our own sin, our desperate need for God, a perfect act of contrition, godly sorrow and compunction, along with, you can't stop there, that's not enough, that won't get you justified, (laughs) along with faith in God's power and goodwill toward you. That's what opens the way to being made holy. So that you can know God's love. It is defensiveness on the part of the Pharisee. Defensiveness. Entrenchment. Self-righteous judgmentalism. A critical spirit. Anger and resentment. That shuts the door to our salvation. Our collect this morning. I always. Every time we come to the 10th Sunday. After Pentecost. I always remember how much I love this simple collect. It's a simple collect, but it's very beautiful. We prayed, O God, who declares thy almighty power, most chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Give unto us abundantly thy grace that we, running toward thy promises, may be made partakers of thy heavenly treasure. That heavenly treasure, of course, is our union with God himself. God's power, God's power is almighty. This is a great theme in the scriptures and in all of our prayers and hymns. The almighty power of God. Now his power is not comparable to any other power. As if it was of the same type or substance. Just a little bit stronger. Like on a scale. You know, certain power lifter has a certain amount of power a judge has power, a king has power, and God has power like them but just more no, his power is not comparable to their kind of power, his almighty power is completely different in quality it is infinitely different than any other power, all other power truly is on a scale and comparable to all other powers but God's almighty power is absolute There is no scale and there is no comparable power to his power. Secondly, when we think of power, we may think initially of an overwhelming force. A force that overcomes an opposing force. And to think of God's power in this way certainly is not incorrect. He does indeed overcome the enemy. 
There is no weapon against him that can prevail. He is our shield and our bulwark, our defender. He is our triumphant king. He is that great warrior lamb who stands with his foot on the throat of his enemy. All of this is true. But we must run through the grid of truth revealed in today's collect. We must understand his overcoming power according to today's collect and, quite frankly, according to that cross behind me where we see him hanging. A truth that the angry and hateful warlords of humanity cannot accept and scoff at. They mock our Lord. They scourge our Lord. Jesus Christ, who has almighty power, who could have called 10,000 angels down to rescue him from their murderous hatred. His almighty power, as our colleague said, is displayed chiefly, chiefly in showing mercy and pity. The power of God, which destroys the enemy and transforms all, which brings something out of nothing, which brought the world into existence, which brought your little life into existence, which has created light out of darkness and brings beauty and goodness out of your darkness, your own ugliness and sin, he transforms into something eternally beautiful. His power which goes down into death, which embraces death itself, which embraces our suffering and death, goes into hell. His power subjects himself and by so doing overcomes and destroys it. All of this is accomplished not by a sheer overwhelming force of raw power, a simple strength which is just stronger than the one opposing him. No, that is not the way his power works. His power is love. His power is humility. His power is his own gift of himself unto death for us. His power, as our colleague says, to transform us and save us, his power is shown chiefly in his mercy and in his pity for us. When we give up our own self-righteousness, when we come to a place of true humility, calling out to him for mercy, in believing in his power and understanding that his power is his love for us. As you have heard me say many times, faith is knowing you are loved. It is then that we are in a position to receive his transforming power to justify us, to cleanse us and forgive us, to make us new creatures, to turn our darkness and our ugliness into light and beauty, so may we be like that tenacious widow as Christ teaches us today how to pray, that we must pray, that we must seek him. You know, we don't need to pray for his sake. He doesn't need our prayer in order to love us, but we need to pray in order to love him. We need to pray faithfully, tenaciously, without giving up. May we be like the publican and not like the Pharisee. Maybe we be focused on our own 
desperate need for God, begging his mercy, with faith, not with pity, with faith, not condemning others, but seeing our own need. May we pray, and then may we pray some more, and then may we pray some more. May prayer become for us like breath, like breath, so that if we do not pray, we feel like we're gasping for very life itself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.